What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. I have a dream. My four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream. I'll never forget where I was on August 28, 1963, when Dr. Martin Luther King stood on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial and shared his dream. I had just turned 17. I was sitting alone on the recliner in front of the television in our home in Hot Springs, Arkansas. The speech moved me to tears, and I wept for a good while after it was over, filled with both emotion and determination to do whatever I could for the rest of my life to make Dr. King's dream come true. So why am I telling you this? For two reasons. First of all, In the 50-plus years since that hot summer day, we have made important progress. But every day, it is painfully clear that we still have a very long way to go. The deaths of so many have painfully reminded us that a person's race still determines how they'll be treated in so many aspects of everyday American life. And that truth has only been reinforced by the disparities we see in the human and economic toll of the COVID-19 pandemic, and in the many other ways that embedded racism continues to unfold across our society. So after all these years, it's still the responsibility of every American, no matter what their background or what their day job is, to stand up and do what they can to make it better. Today, I'm honored to be joined by the youngest of those four children Dr. King dreamed of in his most famous speech. She has spent a lifetime in pursuit of racial, social, and economic justice from the pulpit and from her perch as CEO of the King Center for Nonviolent Social Change, one of the most remarkable and inspiring people I know. Dr. Bernice King, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, President Clinton. I'm always honored to be in your presence and uh, even more honored to have this conversation with you today. Well, you know, we've known each other for a long time now, and uh, I've always wondered how you came to be who you were. 
you could have been forgiven if you'd taken a whole pass on all this business. If your memories of standing in the pulpit and standing on the forefront of social change and the sacrifices inherent in being a member of your family had been so burdensome, you could have walked away and been a perfectly fine, perfectly successful something else, but you didn't. And I'd like to know what you think your childhood had to do with it, and when did you realize the meaning of your father, later your mother's work, and how did you come to do the same thing? Wow. That, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, and um, I, I want to say it in, in, in very short words first and then kind of expound. Uh, the person I believe who singularly most uh, impactful, influential in my life was my mom. Uh, she was an extraordinary example of what it means to sacrifice and serve humanity. And to do it in a way, from a place, should I say, of continual forgiveness. You know, uh, we grew up in a household where my mother taught us early on uh, about not hating. And particularly in, in our instance, not hating the person who killed our father. Um, and would always invoke my father's words, um, somebody has to cut off the chain of violence. Now, as a kid... You know, I, I took those words very objectively that somebody, she was talking about somebody, but it wasn't me. <laughs> uh, and and uh, so as, as, I, as, I, as I continued to, to grow and, and develop, I came to the, the understanding because I was surrounded by uh, all of the work that she did to build the King Center into the Martin Luther King Center for Nonviolent Social Change um, and exposed early on to some of the nonviolent teachings, um, I began to understand that I was being drawn into this, although I was very resistant because of the emotional trauma that I suffered from my father's assassination at the age of five, my uncle being mysteriously found in his pool with a ward in his lungs. I was six. My grandmother being shot in church when I was 11 years of age, um, you know, trying to manage all of the barrage of emotions that I was experiencing as a result of those tragedies was, was very difficult. And it land, landed me for a season in a place of, of a lot of hate, uh, hostility and anger. And, um, you know, I had to wrestle with that being in a family that taught about love, that taught about, not just taught it, lived it, uh, lived love, lived forgiveness. Um, and so I, I, I was on this journey. I got a call into ministry when I was 17. And it was really just right before that call where I came into a, a great understanding of the work that my parents were involved in. I mean, we were we were exposed to it as children. And me in particular, I didn't get the same exposure as my siblings because they were able to participate in at least one or two things that my father did. I never participated in anything. But I got an opportunity to hear about things growing up and I got an opportunity to see the documentary Montgomery to Memphis. And when I was 16, I recommended that we view that uh, for our youth group uh, retreat, youth group at the church. And I had seen it many times, but this particular time I started crying and boohooing. And um, we were in the North Georgia mountains and I ran out of the cabinet up into the woods. Some folks followed me and, uh, you know, they, they decided to kind of bring me back into the, the inside upstairs. There was a bedroom and laid across the bed, and I, for two hours, I was just crying and saying, why? You know, why did you leave? Why did you take him? You know, just a bunch of whys. And after uh, I finished crying, in my heart and mind, I said, I'm done with you, God. I'm done with church. Well, I could only do it, you know, in my mind and heart because I was in my mother's house. Um, and uh, it was at that age I realized the fullness of it, and I was angry. Because at that funeral scene, at the end of that documentary, 
you know, is when all of my grief just be, began to pour out. So probably not just the grief from my father, but probably my uncle and my grandmother, uh, because I, I realized, wow, my father and the rest of the people, my mom as well, made extraordinary sacrifices for our nation. And it still seemed that we hadn't made a lot of progress. And so I was, I was hurt because I lost him and he wasn't here with us. Um, and I was angry because I could have had my father. That's how I was feeling at the time. Um, and so it was a year later, as I said, at age 17, I got this call because I said I was done with God in church. I guess God said, no, you're not. <laughs> um, and so I surrendered. Uh, I surrendered in the sense that I told my mom about it, but I ran otherwise because I tried to figure out, you know, is there anything else I can do that I won't have to be under this Martin Luther King shadow? Uh, because he was a preacher, so people can always see me in the light of him, and I won't have my own identity. And I always wanted to go to law school. And so I ended up finishing high school, going to Spelman College, uh, majoring in psychology with a concentration in pre-law, because I knew I always wanted to go to law school. I used to watch Perry Mason. Love Perry Mason. I wanted to be like Perry Mason, all of that. Uh, and I have friends that say, you should be a lawyer. You like to defend people and take up for people. I can testify to that. I, <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> um, I, I went on to uh, Emory University, a joint program. It, it was a uh, very few schools had it, a JD and a Master of Divinity. Um, so in five years, I got my law degree and my theology degree. And it was there where I started really wrestling uh, with this calling. And I went to theology school because I knew I had the calling. So I went ahead and went to school, but I, I was struggling with it early on at 17 through 21 because I was young. I didn't see any women, and particularly in the Baptist church. And finally, I had this experience that I think was a life-changing moment. Um, after two semesters at law school, I ended up on probation the first semester, the second semester. I was still in the theology school taking courses. Did well over there. And they told me, look, um, if you don't uh, improve and come off of uh, uh, a probation, um, which would have been the third time going into the third time, we're going to have to release you from the law school. And so all I could see were these headlines, Dr. King's daughter flunks out of law school. And at that time, because I was carrying so much anger and, and hostility, hostility and, and maybe even some rage, you know, and I felt very disconnected. Um, I went home, got a knife, and I wanted to kill myself. Um, but I had this fear, what if I wasn't successful? So all the time I'm contemplating this, my roommate comes down, sees me. She says, what are you doing? And she runs back upstairs uh, to call my, my mom. In the meantime, I hear this voice that says to me, put the knife down because you're going to be missed. I'm thinking, miss, nobody cares anything about me. Well, not necessarily true, but I was feeling. Carrying all of this anger and feeling so separated. Um, and then the voice said, you, you have a calling. And it was at that point, literally, it was like I was, went through my own resurrection experience of coming out of, you know, feeling disconnected and insignificant and overwhelmed by all this anger and uh, my life started changing at that point. That's when I really, I tell people, I fully gave my, my life to, to Jesus Christ, although I grew up in the church. But it was at that point I became more of a yielded vessel and, and decided that I was going to yield myself to God's will and his direction. And um, about a year later is when I preached my first sermon in ministry. And I went on this journey. I had to go on, I still had to go on the journey because I still had the anger. And frankly, uh, President Clinton, I was, I was, I was angry and I also had hate in my heart for all white people, although people didn't know it, because I was Dr. King's daughter. My mother taught me better so I could, you know, shroud it. But I hated, I hated white people, and I especially hated white men. 
Um, and I remember in 2000, now I was licensed to preach and ordained. I was licensed 88, ordained 90. But it was 2000 where I had this encounter with a gentleman by the name of Jim, James Robeson, um, an evangelical minister. He has a show um, on one of the religious broadcasts. And in the middle of talking about my dad, he said, you know, and all the pain I was having, he said, can I give you a hug? Now, in inside, I was like, you know, H, no. <laughs> um, but I allowed it. And when he hugged me, it was one of the most genuine hugs I'd ever received in my life. And it started relieving me um, of the way that I was feeling about white people. And, it, and from that point on, doors just started opening. Things started happening. And, you know, I started really delving in and looking at this, this anger that was overtaking my life and causing me to categorize people and target people and even mishandle people close to me. So from the point of my mother saying as a child, somebody has to cut off the chain of violence. I got all this anger inside. And typically anger, when it erupts, it, it just, it, it, it has no sense about it. So it will target any and everything and hurt and hurt people. Um, and I had to figure this out. And so I could hear, you got to cut off the chain. You don't want to be someone who ends up letting that anger cause you to continue to do violence. Because I was very violent with my tongue. It wasn't until I became... CEO of the King Center, that my life began to really come in focus. Because before then, you know, when my mom was around, she was the face of the legacy. You know, I obviously went out speaking a lot concerning my, my father's legacy. You know, I was committed to it, but I was always wrestling with where do I fit? What do I do? How do I distinguish myself? You know, what is my purpose? What is my call? What can I do that is not always about King? And then it dawned on me, wow, daddy's teachings really come out of the word of God for him. So there was not any inconsistency anymore for me. I was able to reconcile, you know, that this work is, is really about advancing God's kingdom. It's about building a just, humane, equitable, and peaceful world. And I don't feel like, you know, I'm not being true to my calling, you know, as a preacher, or as a minister, because you can express it even beyond, you know, the traditional pulpit. Uh, so the center is like a is like part of my ministry to the world, and um, you know, I now understand the power of nonviolence to really transform you first, uh, and then to pour out into the rest of the world to change the world, and to be that vessel, as my mother said, to cut off the chain of violence. Uh, but thank God for her. Because I saw her over and over again. There were things where people hurt her, but she still extended herself in grace and love toward those people and always wanted the best for other people. Well, thank you. That was fascinating and a story I wager very few Americans have heard. Let me ask you something. The, it's sort of in the background of all this turmoil we've been through in the last few years, particularly the killing of unarmed people of color in police incidents, but also more mass shootings. How much do you believe the forces that are behind this can be banked, erased, gotten out of our spirit? And what is the relationship between the pulpit and salvation and the practical challenges you face in making change? Well, you know, that's an interesting question because I'm, I'm of the firm belief um, that if we have enough people like my mother and father, um, like the Gandhis, if they're cultivated, um, to really be these vessels um, of love, or as my father said, that the philosophy and strategy of nonviolence must immediately become a subject of study and serious experimentation in every field of human conflict, by no means excluding uh, nations. 
I think if we take those words to heart and we really begin to saturate it um, in our uh, uh, in our society uh, from childhood forward, we will begin to raise young people who are other centered, who are who are focused on the good of humanity, people who will understand the value, the dignity and the worth of all individuals um, that, that we are, you know, as, as we say in, in, in the Christian faith, we are created in the Imago Dei in the image and after the likeness of God. Um, just by listening to some of the conversations that the younger generation has, they, they seem to be wired toward that. Um, and yes, they, they're exposed to all of the, the bad and the ugly things that, that, uh, we continue to expose them to. But it seems like it's something like inside of them that's, that's still very grounded in a way that that little verse about and a little child should leave them. It's like they are tapping into our conscience, um, and, and awakening us. Uh, in the nonviolent philosophy, we call it the win-win pathway, you know, and I think we have to take more time to understand each other. As, as Stephen Covey talks about, one of the habits of highly effective people is seeking to understand rather than to be understood. Um, we don't spend enough time trying to understand how people are, how they get where they are, you know, how did they develop um into these mindsets, into these ideologies. What happened to them? Because something happened. We're not born hating. I mean, we're just not. People are, are socialized. Um, and, and they, they, you know, they're taught um, that model, in other words, that they're surrounded by. Um, and it's tough, yes, we have complicated, because you've been president, you know, the complicated issues around the world. Nations have different ideologies, belief systems, religions, you know, practices, behaviors, um, etc. But I just I hold on to the belief of the ultimate triumph of good, of love and of truth. But we have to stay uh, persistent. We have to stay diligent. We have to stay vigilant. And as a generation is raised, they're going to be the ones to to really uh, saturate this around the world. Um, it, it just, yeah, I, I don't know what else to say. Um, I have, I have that much hope and I have that much, uh, belief because we're going to find that everything else we're trying is not working. Violence, violence doesn't work and disregarding people doesn't work either. We'll be right back. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. 
You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. I remember when you came to the White House at my invitation more than 20 years ago and you spoke on a program uh, welcoming President Mandela to Washington. That's the thing that most amazed me about him. That is, he was the first person I had seen who got political power and did not abuse it and did not spend one second trying to get even or whatever. And and he realized he had to, in effect, rescue his adversaries from themselves, from their hatred and and restore them to a place where they could be part of a common future. He's the only person I ever knew who suffered that much, then got that much political power, and did it. And I, the thing I appreciated your saying is, you know, how you struggled to get there. Because I knew Mandela well enough to know that he still got mad, he still had bad memories, he still wanted to lash out when somebody said something stupid or hateful or did something wrong. But he had developed over all those years and his monastery, his prison, <laughs> a, a an iron discipline and a pattern of thinking and, and feeling where he could have a quick snapback. And I often thought, after I really got to know Mandela, it made me reexamine other people's lives more. Like your father, I... I thought, how can a guy this smart put up with all that stuff and keep going with a loving heart? And I think you have to, it's a discipline. You have to develop a quick snapback. If you want to win this social change argument, you have to keep the door open while others are shutting theirs. And that requires a lot of effort. Yeah, you know, my mother uh, said to me once when I was extremely angry and I was about to make this major decision and I was driving on one of our freeways here and she stopped me and she said, baby, (laughs) never make a decision in your anger. I said, oh, wow. And what I heard is she wasn't condemning me for being angry. We're going to have those feelings. We're going to get mad you know, P.O.'d, um, enraged about things that are unjust and inhumane. But what she was saying to me is, don't let that translate into something that you may either later regret or something that you can give yourself time to use your mind, which God is, our mind is supposed to be much higher you know, our conscience than I than, than our feelings and emotions. I say to people, never we we have a responsibility to not leave people in their ignorance, in their hatred, in their anger, in their fear. You know, and and that's hard. I know everybody can't do that, but we're in this world house together. One of the things that's interesting to me, so much of this is rooted not only in age old questions of human nature and identity, needing somebody to look down on and not just to be different from, but to be better than. Yeah. 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 I mean, there is a, there's a root. There's a root to violence. There's, there's a root to injustice. Um, And uh, that's what I think nonviolence seeks to get at with people. Um, but honestly, nonviolence is when when you think about it, it's it's really love translated into to action, and so that's why we've we've launched this Be Love campaign because um, we got to get people t- 
to a place where they are not driven out of these feelings, like Mother said, not making decisions in your feelings. Uh, but really making it out of this this heart of love and this understanding of the dignity and value and worth of the person um, that regardless of what, you know, what I may feel or, or what I, I might think, you know, every person in the universe, I hate to say this and people don't want to hear it, is valuable to God. Um, and so, you know, yeah, I think about that all the time that, you know, how do we get to the root of all of this? Yeah. And, and yet we, we got to go back to, to the beginning. Where did this white supremacy, uh, rulership and power, uh, 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 construct and way of operating? Where did, where did that come out of? As you said, you, you, you can't. You you classify it as the need to look down or put down um, others. You know where does that come from? Um, and that's something we have to explore. I don't I don't know a hundred percent, but I do know it's something in this this love factor that has a lot to do with it. You know, the more full of love a person is, the less they are needing. Because when you have self love. You don't need to look down on anybody else. Um, and if you have love of others that's complimenting that, you 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 kind of affirm them as you affirm yourself. I don't know who you're supposed to give on and who you're not supposed to give up on, but I think reaching across the identity divides is humanizing. You don't have to say, I now forget everything you ever did, or I now realize there's no difference between us. That's not true. But somehow we have to scratch each other enough that we find a person down there. And that's what I think you're trying to do. <laughs> and, and Right. I was taught about, you know, forgiving your enemies. And, and so because I was taught so early on and not just talk, because my mother didn't just talk about it. She emulated these things because it was who she was. You know, she wasn't made by Martin Luther King Jr., they met as two powerful forces because she was an activist in her own right, as you know, a peace activist before they met um, and was very responsible for really the final push of him speaking out against the war in Vietnam that at the time was controversial. And later on, we acknowledged it was a big mistake. Uh, but her extraordinary example is really what ultimately won out you know, in my life. And so as a child, I'm seeing all of this <laughs> being exuded by my mom. And, you know, later on, it was very hard for me not to be kind of, you know, kind of shaped in that fashion myself. Uh, so it, it is, you know, teaching this stuff early on, exposing kids very early on is, is important um, to getting to this this place. And, you know, some people may ne never get that experience, but whatever point we can intersect with people's lives, you know, to unburden them from themselves uh, so that they can join this journey, as my mother would say, struggle being a never ending process, freedom never being won. You earn it and win it in every generation. Join this struggle in this generation to win freedom uh, together. That's so important. I think your Be Love campaign has the potential to break people out of the paradigm that we have been in for some years now where every struggle is a zero-sum game and sometimes we're up, sometimes we're down, uh, but you got to be on one side or the other and we keep in score <laughs> as if my life will have more meaning if yours has less. Right. And I and you're trying to say we're just here for a little while and my life will have more meaning if yours has more. Exactly. We'll be right back. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. 
Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Tell us before we close this the program uh, a little more specific, uh, Lee, about your Be Love campaign. Uh, who is in it? How do you join it? Because uh, what you said about your mother was right. She w- was her own person from a very young age, but she was on a journey of mental discipline. Your father had a... a, a to get from Gandhi to the Edmund Prentice Bridge requires a, a discipline. How do you apply these teachings to what we're going through? And then how can it benefit people in any community in America? And how can people participate? So the the, the who is whosoever will, if I can be just frank. We, we, we opened it up to the world. This campaign invites uh, people who really are wanting to uh, realign our our world and our society with a force that can help us create this just, humane, equitable, and peaceful world that many of us talk about in in, in so many different circles. Uh, but but what is going to galvanize us, and how do we kind of get on one page of of responding? Uh, to so many different things in our world. And that's what the movement was about. What people fail to understand is that my father's movement had a philosophical grounding. That's what kept the people cohesive, you know, and kept them, you know, moving in the same direction. And so this is like the vision. We're casting the vision to society. You as an individual be loved, not just, you know, in a, not in a sentimental way, but in a very powerful, unconditional, um, devoted and committed to uh, seeing that the justice is implemented and done in a way that we're not unjust in the actions that we take to create justice. So we align our means and ends. Um, and uh, we also work together on looking how we can influence um, and implement policies that uh, are in alignment with just, humane, you know, peaceful and equitable outcomes. So people sign up, they take the pledge, and then we invite them to the trainings. There is a way to speak truth in love that does not diminish, that does not demean, that does not seek to destroy character or seek to 
to win the argument uh, over people, but seeks to elevate the truth. In the end, when we have these conflicts, whether you're talking about in Congress right now on the voting front uh, here in Georgia, at the end of the day, after we finish this particular battle, whichever way it turns out, um, we still have to live together in community. Otherwise, as you said, the door is closed and then we're cut off further from each other. And when the next issue arises, we're so far from each other, we're not close enough to even begin to work towards a win-win solution because we're, we're so opposed. I feel that the whole world and uh, every corner of America uh, has been caught up in this whirlwind of identity conflicts. And, you know, if you think about it, our minds and eventually our emotions are defined by categories. And yet, if you believe in love, you have to believe that somehow beyond all these categories is something fundamental you can share with every other human being. And otherwise, if our identity is just defined by our categories, pretty soon we look more like cartoons than people. That's so powerful. And, you know, trying to keep people from running into it because cartoons are comfortable. Yeah. You know what the colors are. You know where the lines are drawn. You know everything. But I think it's really, this is a brave and ambitious thing you're doing. Yeah, and, and we have all these labels we put on people, and that becomes our definition and way of engaging them because if they are, like if they're Republican, mm, don't deal with them. And there's more to them than the label. Um, and when we, when we understand that and connect in the, in the common space, we can do so much uh, uh, more good. And so what you what you explained to me ultimately is something that daddy left us with, with these words. Men hate each other because they fear each other and they fear each other because they don't know each other and they don't know each other because they are they don't communicate with each other and they don't communicate because they're separate from each other. We've got to create spaces and opportunities to truly know each other in more meaningful and depthful ways beyond all of our different identities. Who are you? And what we'll discover is who we must be to each other. And that's what this campaign is also about. Answering that question, who must we be? We must be human beings who regard and respect and value other human beings who may have all these different kinds of identities, but they are a member of our human family. They're situated in the world house and everybody wants to live in a community of, of where there's respect and dignity and equity and, and, and justice. And, you know, if we don't commit ourselves to that, I shudder to think where we're headed. And, uh, you know, these, these are difficult issues. I look forward to the day when we're not having these battles around voting. Uh, voting is the one way that we are all in common. It's, it's the one thing that, that is the common denominator in a democracy. And we've got to figure out how to codify it in our Constitution. I mean, the guarantee of the right to vote is not in our Constitution. Um, so we're down here, as, as so many people are in 43 uh, states, you know, um, trying to push in the right direction, hoping that corporations will get more involved in this struggle to create this just, humane and equitable, peaceful society and not just creating a bottom line for themselves. Because otherwise, we're just going to keep tearing apart and it's not going to be pretty. Well... It's not going to be pretty, and we can't preserve the greatness and promise of our country unless we do it together. We we can pretend all we want that 
we'll be the same country if we just literally cut ourselves off from one another and disempower massive numbers of Americans that don't agree with us, but it won't work. And therefore, uh, in some ways, you're fighting the oldest battle of humanity, all dressed up in a new suit with the whole future of all the young people in America riding on it and and all the people we might still help. So I'm really grateful to you. Thank you. I'd like to close by giving you a chance to say one more time how they can reach you and share their ideas and give you support. They can go to the thekingcenter.org uh, for that. And um, again, the first thing you'll see on the website is be love and take the pledge. <laughs> Um, yes, we, we're going to be driving it very hard um, because we need love to change these systems. Anger is not going to change the system. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll just, you know, continue to go back fire on fire, hate on hate. Hate never um, does away with hate. As Dad said, only love does that. And we got to multiply love in the universe to overwhelm the hate. Um, and And so... You know, we're going to drive and we're going to make sure that in the end, people know that we're not talking about some mamby-pamby, you know, some kind of weak sentimental stuff. Uh, We're talking about that strength to love, that that power uh, to stand in the face of ugliness, you know, that John Lewis and Hosea Williams um, and uh, C.T. Vivian and Amelia Boynton, you know, and uh, even Viola Luiso. And and uh, Jimmy Lee Jackson, you know, and Rosa Parks stood in the face of. That was an act and demonstration of love that Rosa Parks did. It wasn't just about, she was concerned about that bus driver too. She wanted him liberated and free from from having to 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 be so ugly and mean um and 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 oppressive. Uh and so that's a powerful love that faces that kind of stuff. And still stand strong. And in the end, people should never forget in a nonviolent revolution, there may be loss of life, but it's minimal compared to a violent revolution. You have been a blessing in my life and a blessing in the lives of so many. And I think your biggest and most important work is still to come. Because we have been all caught up almost like rats running around in a maze these last few years and battles of dueling resentments in America and a crumbling old world order. And uh, we have to build a lot of new things with a lot of young people for their future. Mm-hmm. And and you you are giving people a way to both preserve what we have to preserve, including voting rights. Yes and build the future we need to build. And I'm very grateful to you, and I hope that many people will listen to you today, heed your call, and contact and offer to help. Bless you. Thank you so much. Thank you. God bless you, too. Why Am I Telling You This is a production of iHeartRadio, the Clinton Foundation, and At Will Media. Our executive producers are Craig Manassian and Will Malnati. Our production team includes Mitch Bluestein, Jameson Katsufis, Tom Galton, Sarah Horowitz, and Jake Young, with production support from Tyler Scott and Latavia Young. Original music by Watt White. Special thanks to John Sykes, Tina Flanoy, John Davidson, Angel Urena, Corey Gansley, Oscar Flores, Kevin Thurm, and all our dedicated staff and partners at the Clinton Foundation. If you have an idea or suggestion for the show, we'd love to hear from you. So please visit clintonfoundation.org slash podcast to share your thoughts with us. If you like the show, tell someone else about it. You can subscribe to Why Am I Telling You This on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. By listening to this podcast, you're helping support the work of the Clinton Foundation. So thank you. Hi, 
I'm Jane Park, Director of National Partnerships at Too Small to Fail, the Clinton Foundation's Early Learning Initiative. In the United States, nearly 60% of children start kindergarten unprepared, lagging behind in critical language and literacy skills. Luckily, research tells us that simple, everyday interactions like talking, reading, and singing with young children from the moment they're born can help set a strong foundation for lifelong learning. That's why we're working to surround families with early language, literacy, and learning opportunities during their daily routines. From a load at the laundromat, to the bus stop, the pediatrician's office, to the playground, we work to meet parents where they are and help them provide their children with the best possible start in school and in life. Learn more about this work and see how you can get involved. Visit www.clintonfoundation.org slash podcast. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.